where again, a sim is you're writing your own questions. You want to know, you know, tell me when someone's failed my logins five times. These tools are already telling you, you know, Joe Bob did it. So you don't necessarily need a sim to do that unless you have to, you know, store the data for you know, compliance regulations or whatnot. But then even then, there's a cheaper way to do it than a sim. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast. That's my friend Eric Block, Senior Director of Detection and Response at Sprinkler and former product manager for several SIM products, too, which I point out because it makes his argument even more compelling. And just what is that argument? That the SOC is no longer useful, that it has already died, and that it just doesn't know it yet. The alternative is what Eric calls distributed incident response. This is a compelling and controversial argument that Eric is lining up for us. And Eric, thanks so much for coming on down to the ranch to share it with us. Hey, thanks, Alan. I appreciate you having me. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. So why don't you get us started here? Tell us a little bit about your background in cyber and a little bit about your day job. Yeah, I've been doing this for almost 30 years. I got my start in the military, reverse engineering captured equipment after the first Gulf War. Um, I went on to uh, found and lead the CERT team at Cisco for four years. I've been a product manager for several SIM companies from uh, SenseAge to NTT, to also designing the SIM and UBA products at Salesforce. And today I've moved on to uh, Sprinkler. I've been here about 11 weeks now, and I'm starting to uh, establish our security operations and detection response functions. I love it. So lots of SIM and SOC background, uh, both on the practitioner side and the vendor side of the fence, which makes it very interesting that you've taken the position you have. So for those who don't know, Eric wrote an article on LinkedIn a little while ago, and uh, the title of the article, I'm going to read it to you, is RIP SOC, hello, D-IR, as in rest in peace SOC, as in there's a picture of a tombstone with SOC's birth and death date on it. So here's a man who has done SIM products, who has worked SOC's, built SOC's, who is saying that the sock has died. And so let's chat about that a little bit. In your article, Eric, you challenged the entire model of the sock versus DIR, which is, uh, you're calling that distributed incident response, D-IR. Can you walk us through what the sock is doing wrong? Can you walk us through where it's failing? Uh, and and let's kind of let's kind of start the conversation there and get folks caught up with where, you, where your thinking is. Sure. Um, so, so first I need to draw this uh, kind of the, the line between a minute service where you're outsourcing things to a SOC versus your own internal SOC at your own company. I'm making the differentiation between not needing a SOC at the company you're at today. Like outsourcing is one thing where it makes sense to consolidate operations. But as far as a company is concerned, having your own SOC, it just doesn't scale anymore. And the data shows they're not effective. At some previous roles I had looking at data, both from your vendor side and a practitioner side, we saw that. You know, 90% of the events that we investigated came from third parties, like your employees reporting things, partner reporting things, bug bounties, hunting for activities. Only about 10% or less came from your actual detection platforms, which is what your SOCs are primarily designed to respond to. And looking at that data, out of the information that, or out of the alerts that were going to your SOC, majority of those were low-hanging fruit. About 80% of those things were things that your SOC is only kind of directing traffic to. So I made the analogy of an air traffic controller where you're assessing what's coming in and you're deciding where you have to go to. So your SOC becomes almost like a default dumping ground for all the things. And then your SOC is basically trying to decide where does this have to go to be fixed? You know, from, from an open S3 bucket to someone, you know, installing a malicious browser extension on your, on your web browser and your laptop. And so 
I am trying to flip that upside down where instead of going to your sock, we're being far more conscientious about this mm-hmm. and we're directing the problems to where the skills actually lie to solve the problems instead of having a default dumping ground, i.e. your sock, and having those people decide where all those things should go. Okay. So this is a workflow model. This is this is about broken workflow. Um, and I'm thinking specifically like the relationship between SOC and IT. I think you've alluded to that in your example here. Right now, today, IT tools sense and pick up things, feed them to the SOC. The SOC reads and analyzes these things and then has to go right back to IT and say, hey, IT, flip this bit, set this thing, block this thing, do this thing. And other times, the IT tools are informing the SOC and the IT team simultaneously, and the IT team is just doing that anyway, Right. Exactly. So I think, yeah. I think we have two workflows, one where IT is not even needing the SOC at all, and the other where the SOC is kind of, I hate to say it, a useless middleman. What's the better yeah. workflow look like? What's the alternative workflow model? That's the idea that I'm, I'm developing now with distributed incident response, and it's, it's based on my learnings from working with my peers. At, you know, I, I, I take a lot of influence from the, what Netflix has done, trying to distribute their load as well, and some of the other companies I've, I've talked to where they're doing just that. They are trying to, when an incident comes in, especially if it's a low-hanging fruit, which is 80% of them will be, direct them to the teams that are actually going to be fixing them directly. It doesn't come without a cost. I mean, th- these teams, like your IT help desk or your NOC or your, your tech office guys, they're already used to doing tier one response. They're already doing response to IT things or to cloud things. You're basically saying, hey, look, these security issues, you know, security issues in air quotes, we're going to train you also how to, to solve these problems as well, instead of that coming to a SOC, where again, your SOC becomes just a middleman for, for the majority of those things. Yeah. And so I'm trying to make it so your CERT team or your IR team, they become a point of escalation. And so if you find, like, say, an open S3 bucket in your cloud environment in Amazon, right, your NOC should get that, your tech ops team gets that, and they can remediate it. Like, there's security doesn't need to be involved in that, unless... That open S3 bucket contains like, you know, all your customer data or all credit card information. And then you have a path of escalation. So it's about kind of sitting the workflows to make sure these, these low-hanging incidents, which is, again, 80% of the things you're going to look at, land in the right place. Those people are, are equipped and, and trained to remediate these things, which they probably already are because they're already fixing these things in the first place. Mm-hmm. And having a, a clear, well-defined path of escalation where if an incident is a certain threshold, they then escalate to your C-cert or your IR team where they can actually do proper incident response for the, you know, the, the more major incidents you want them to be involved. Right. So there's, there's an education component there. I, I totally get the model you're espousing. I see the value of it. I see the cutting out the middleman. I see the having the efficacy and the repair effort flow the right direction. I get all of that. But there is a certain amount of if we let them be self-sufficient on the low-hanging fruit, we have to trust that they're going to escalate to us when it's more than low-hanging fruit. And I think there's a certain educational burden there, right? Like like you've really got to get your IT guys understanding like, oh, you see an open S3 bucket, close it, no big deal. You see an open S3 bucket, investigate what's in it real quick first before you close it and walk away and say it's no big deal. And oh my goodness, it's customer data. Shoot up the flare now. How do you make sure if you're going to distribute across all these teams that they gain that that awareness of security fundamentals, if you will? Like it's, I don't think they need to become security experts, but they definitely definitely need the fundamentals, right? Oh, t- totally do. Yes. And that's something that I, I'm, I'm trying to institute now where um, I'm going to be training my IT help desk guys. I'm going to be training my knock guys to kind of handle some of these low hanging fruits. And so far, I mean, it, I'm in the early stages of, of kind of developing this, but talking with the, the leaders of our, our other tier one teams, our IT help desk and our knock, 
they're actually excited about this. Because as you know, people in Knox, right, he helped desk for socks, like they burn out pretty quickly. Their job is pretty repetitive and boring. And if I go to IT and say, hey, look, I'm going to train you guys to do some security basics, some fundamentals, you know, the things that you probably are already doing with some handholding. I don't want to hold your hand anymore. I'm going to let you do it and trust that once I train you and give you the tools, you're going to do it correctly. Um, and they are excited about this because now they have two different career paths. Yep. They're going to know IT help desk and security. They can branch off either direction. The same thing with our you know, guys that's sitting there and knock, making sure our, our servers and applications are up and running. They go from that very repetitive job to now they have a branch where they're going to learn about security. And so they kind of open and, and broaden their career paths that are on. And so from that aspect, these people are actually excited about this. They're excited to get the training. They're, they're excited to try this model. Um, so I kind of see it as a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't just about career paths and opening up doorways. This is also about empowerment, right? I mean, this is this is yeah. truly, and to your point, if they're, if they're doing what they feel like is humdrum, boring, repetitive, and then all of a sudden one day someone says, you, you, you get to make real decisions. That's a very empowering moment for any employee. And that's a good reason to come into work in the morning and stick around is, hey, these people have empowered me and they trust me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and trust, I mean, that's the, that's the fundamental building block of, you know, why you come to work and why you work with the manager you do and the people on your team. If you don't give people that, I mean, they are going to burn out and leave. Yeah. You know, yeah. Otherwise you're micromanaging them. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, you know, trusting the people you have. If I can train them and give them the tooling, which is a whole other issue, but if I can train them and give them the correct tooling to do this, and especially if just for the low hanging fruit, again, like if, uh, you know, someone's credentials got hacked or compromised some way, but IT reset that. Unless they can show there's been a breach where then we get involved, yeah, go ahead, IT. I trust you to reset the credentials because you do this every day anyways. Right, You know, right. You're, you're not doing it for security reason. You're doing it because they forgot their password or whatever, but it's a process they already know how to do. So let's switch gears here a little bit and pivot to kind of the technical piece of this. We discussed a whole world of collaboration of things coming across the radar, and we've talked about how it's no longer coming across the SOC as the centralized radar, but hey, these guys have already got their own radar, let it happen. What is the impact of cloud on this model of yours? Because there's obviously lots and lots of cloudy things that change attack surface, distribute attack surface, and don't always offer that radar screen. Um, scrambling with various security vendors to get cloud under control of the SOC, that's a thing right now. There's tons of vendors that have stepped up into that space. So if we're going to distribute, how do we deal with that cloud burden? That's interesting because from my point of view, it's actually made things easier. Mm-hmm. You know, conventionally, you'd have your own data centers and everyone's data center was unique. You know, how you set it up was always different. Right. Hence why you needed tools like a SIM, right? Where you could write your own questions. You could write your own rules that were custom to your custom environment. You're talking about something like Amazon. The use cases are, you know, they're about 80% the same between you and me and whoever else is using Amazon. We're using the same Amazon services. We log in the same console, the roles, permissions, groups, the APIs. All those things are pretty common. The only thing that's unique about you is how you're using it, like what your application looks like, you know, the different pieces of your tech stack that you're using. But as far as the actual cloud providers themselves and the infrastructure, that's probably 80% of all your problems, and those are known. And so what what I like about uh, the cloud is with the Sims, again, you could write the rules that matter to you for your unique environment. For the cloud, again, since 80% of this is known, vendors are now coming out, and I want to, you know, I want to, name any here, but vendors are coming out now saying, hey, look, we know that 80% of these use cases are the same. We're not going to sell you a tool where you can ask your own questions or write your own rules. We're going to sell you the outcome. And so for 80% of these things, they know what they are, like, you know, permissions, you know, how they trickle down through groups or not, or accessing APIs or adding new roles or spinning up new servers or ACL problems. All these things are new. 
And so these vendors are solving that problem for you. They're collecting all the data and they're just yeah. giving you the end result. Yeah. Okay. That that's, leave, that's, that's interesting. We're, we're saying the same thing, but you're coming at it from a totally different point of view, which is interesting. I'm, you know, I was seeing it as, Hey, because of the standardization of cloud, because of all these new, you know, whatever, pick an AWS or GCP, I don't care, pick your environment as your, you've got all these things that are going on that are regular things that you want to scan for and look for. And they're fairly controlled and fairly predictable, but they're also very cloud centric and they're over here in the cloud. And what I've seen vendors doing is saying, let's gather and aggregate that and feed it back to the SIM. And so to your point, it's standardized and easy for them to reach. But what I've seen is that bridging of the gap where they're still trying to feed it to a centralized model. And what you're saying is if it's easy to reach and it's standardized, we don't need to feed it to a central model. Exactly. Like, like that should be sufficient in its own right. In fact, I'm almost picturing tools that, that are provided by the cloud vendors because if we're going to distribute that out, if the people managing the cloud environments are going to be the people receiving that information, understanding, hey, this is easy peasy standard stuff. Here's the permissions you should see. Here's what a virtual firewalling, you know, whatever the nomenclature is for the given environments. Here's what a virtual firewall setup should look like. Here's what your user group should look like. Here's what your permissions on your bucket should look like. If all of that can be standard standardized, gathered, and simplified and put in one place, that one place should be the cloud admins, not the SOC. That's basically exactly. what we're getting to. Yeah. All these things are known. You don't need a central SIM. If they're solving these problems for you and they're giving you the answers, right? Like yeah. They're telling you that, hey, look, you have a, I'm going to tell you beforehand, you have an open history bucket. I'm going to tell you that a new account was created. I'm going to tell you that someone has incorrect permissions or too much permissions. Like they've already done all the legwork for you. They're, they're telling you what's happening and you have to decide what to do with it. Rather than a sim, where again, a sim is you're writing your own questions. You want to know, you know, tell me when someone's failed my logins five times. These tools are already telling you, you know, Joe Bob did it. So you don't necessarily need a sim to do that unless you have to, you know, store the data for, you know, compliance regulations or whatnot. But then even then, there's a cheaper way to do it than a sim. There was a, a post that uh, my buddy John Outhouse made, who's over at Robinhood now, and he said the best log is no log. And I, I completely agree with them that the fewer things you have to gather, I mean, the better. It's less overhead for you. Less hay to sift needles from in the first place. Exactly. And yeah. especially when you know what you're looking for, I mean, these vendors can provide you with the answer and it leaves you having to decide what you want to do about it. And I'm going to make a, a longer term future prediction. And I'm thinking of one of these moments like um, what, what, what are some of the classic moments in technology eclipsing? Real player. You remember real player? Oh, yeah. And then one day Microsoft just threw that crap in for free, right? Lantastic. Yep. And then one day Microsoft just threw that stuff in for free. I think these vendors that if all they're doing is gathering this obvious info and centralizing it and feeding it to you and saying, you know, account tried five times, S3 bucket set up with wrong permissions, firewall, you know, firewall not configured when bucket set up or whatever these things are that it's gathering, it would be very easy for the cloud providers themselves to eclipse that and provide that information just as handily and just as in an automated and centralized fashion. Yeah. And suddenly and they're trying like Microsoft is really trying to do that with Azure or, yeah. or Azure, right? Their security command center Sentinel, they're trying to do that. Um, but the, the problem you went to there is, you know, a lot of people are multi-cloud like at Sprinkler, we're in, we're right. in all the clouds. We're, right. we're in, right. in Azure, GCP, Amazon. Right. And Get that, that redundancy presents its own problem, place. right? Yeah. Yeah. You'd rather have one tool that's cloud agnostic that can see all of your environments mm -hmm. versus mm -hmm. having three tools from three different vendors, which kind of brings you back to the point product solution again, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So even if they do manage to, all of them get better at providing this in a clean and lean format, you would still have three separate feeds. I get where you're coming yeah. from. But there are. I mean, I've heard rumors that Microsoft is, is integrating with GCP and AWS, and they're trying to pull some of this data back so they can give you a unified view because of Microsoft, I mean, they understand that people are multi-cloud. 
Yeah. I mean, whether you want to or not, like we're in three different clouds because we don't have a choice. Our customers are asking for it. Our partners are asking for it. That's just the way of the world to make, that's how you make money. So yep. not, not to mention redundancy and all the other basic fundamentals, you oh, know, yeah. ignoring client pressures, just it, it, it's sane and sound to want to be in more than one provider's cloud environment. What if that one goes out of business? What if, you know, et cetera. That's exactly. Yeah. Having that cloud agnostic you know, provider, whether it's mm -hmm. a vendor or one of the cloud providers themselves providing the cloud agnostic solution. I mean, I think that's the direction we're going to go towards. All right, let's pause right there and hear a brief word from our sponsor. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix. Analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting Uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S.com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode. So, so that kind of ties into a tooling conversation. Well, I guess, okay, so we've addressed it for cloud. We've talked about these vendor agnostic, cloud agnostic, I should say, tools that centralize and aggregate the critical data and bring it to you and show it in the forefront. Doesn't have to go to the sim now, can go straight to the people running the cloud. Got that. What about the same tooling conundrums in the on-prem world? Right now, today, most of the tooling is designed to head to a sim, right? Like that's kind of the assumption now. Everybody yeah. tries to be their own pane of glass, but they acknowledge that, yeah, 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 you probably got another one down the hall at the sock and we're gonna, you're gonna forward logs there, et cetera, et cetera. And we're back to that lots and lots of logs and lots of on-prem tooling too. So for the cloud, I think you've answered it. What about the on-prem? Are we, are we trying to achieve the same thing? Where's that on-prem version of the cloud agnostic? Yeah, that comes with kind of shifting your model, right? As we move towards being more SaaS, where all you have is SaaS applications, you're not actually deploying things on your on your laptop or endpoints. It, it becomes a similar story, right? Um, you're going to deploy an agent on your laptop, and hopefully, one of the vendors out there, like the we're using, you know, a very well known vendor who does all this stuff for us. They collect all the telemetry data for us. They have all their their logs and data mapped to the minor attack framework and everything yeah. else you care about, um, and they're doing a similar thing where their backend cooks and bakes it for us and just tells us, this is what we found. And I have to decide what to do with it. So even for my IT environments, mm -hmm. you know, we've completely gotten rid of Active Directory, which just removes the entire attack surface. So we're trying to not only make detectors for smaller, but then do a similar thing we're doing with the cloud where I want a vendor to sell me the answer to the problem, not yeah. giving me like giving me a way to kind of like write my own questions and then answer them myself. And there are vendors providing that too in the IT space. Right, I mean, right, Actually, right. that's probably where a lot of this came from because you have um, a lot of EDR vendors or XDR vendors that can provide that service for you. That's the as-a-service model where it's easy to see the centralization transposed elsewhere, right? That yeah. model makes perfect sense if they're the ones actually doing the sifting and sorting for you. But if you don't hire them as a service and strictly bring them in as a tool, which is another model those kinds of vendors make available to you, your distributed model it, it almost feels like you're still going to have SOC type people monitoring those kinds of tools and separately rather than centrally through a SIM. But I, I wonder if the distribution model breaks down without the hosting for the on-prem. Yeah. I mean, that's why it, part of what I pointed out in my article is, you know, because some of the tooling, the conventional or legacy tooling, it won't allow some people to do this. Right. Like at my previous employer, I mean, we had an eight figure spend on our, our SIM and detection platform. And for us to just throw that away and switch to something different, it wasn't going to happen. Or, or companies that buy, you know, companies that demand that I want the best of breed point solutions. 
okay, you, you get the best of breed point solutions. You end up with 14 agents on your laptop. That's a decision right. you've made. Um, to, to move to a model like this, you have to be able to you know, be more nimble, yep. um, use less, you know, there has to be less things in your ecosystem. The things that you do deploy have to be able to do more things. Yep. And there are vendors that are providing that. There are vendors who are very forward looking who see this coming and they're providing those services already. And I see too that that there's a bridging realm that ties back to the conversation we had earlier about empowering your people. Where why can't the IT endpoint team have as much visibility to the endpoint agent as the security team does? Right. Some of this some of this bridging of this might be done through personnel and and just welcome them and bring them into the fold for some of this stuff. And it's that back to that education of when do they escalate or not? You could have tier one endpoint support help desk guys triaging the feed straight from the endpoint detection and response agents. So some of that can be bridged with personnel. And then, and then to your point, if you're heavily invested in that, if, if you spend a bazillion on SIM, SOAR, UEBA, et cetera, et cetera, this is going to be a difficult model to enact. But if you've been doing point solutions, you're almost better attuned and ready for it even. To a certain extent, if you haven't centralized those, those point solutions to date, I mean, there's definitely you know, caveats. There's definitely you know blockers to certain organizations. Like if like we're going to bank and you're still using mainframes and your own data centers, this right. probably isn't the model for you, right? Um, but if, if you're a new, you know, if you're a more modern, like a SaaS company, like for us, or we have no infrastructure, everything's in the cloud. All we use is SaaS apps. We don't have any physical networks anywhere. For this, it was it's it's a fairly easy transition for us to move to this model. We don't have any boat anchor tooling like a giant sim or data, giant data lake or our own agents streaming data someplace. Right. We're kind of cloud native from day one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so for us, it was easy. But I can see that you know there are a lot of really big companies that have invested a lot of money in their own infrastructure, their own tooling, you know, their custom tooling. Yeah. You know, uh, their, their sims, UBA, stores, like you're, you're pointing out, where to, to make that shift would be very difficult. Mm-hmm. It might just happen over time, too. So I'm looking at I'm I'm thinking through Sim SOAR UEBA and the promise they offered and the centralization and the the you know the phrase we all hate single pane of glass and even those folks migrating into the cloud it's it's the model I I was sharing before you were like nay 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 my friend it's the idea that even as they embrace cloud they let that Sim SOAR UEBA dominate the conversation and everything the cloud vendors then third party vendors even about the cloud we're doing still had to feed into that central model. That's that's even where my own brain was hung up when I asked yeah. you that question earlier, right? So this is this is proof that this is very revolutionary thinking. I'm even still trying to apply the old model even in the questions I'm asking about it, which is really interesting. So SOAR and SOC and SIM and UEBA, ultimately, I was going to ask questions about the differences between them and the impacts to them all. But honestly, the impact to them all is about the same, isn't it? If, yeah, I mean, unless you're going with the legacy model where you want to collect all the things and do everything yourself, yeah, those tools, the value, because you know, SOAR is the same thing as a SIM, right? It, it gives you the platform where you can write your own automations. You can write your own things that are custom to you. Mm-hmm. But again, if you're in all AWS, like all the APIs are the same, all the strings and knobs you can you know, pull and, and turn, they're all the same for everybody. So why doesn't someone just pre-can all those things for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and people are. I mean, there are new automation vendors that they don't consider themselves sore, but they're doing similar things where they have all these use cases canned. They come out of the box. You don't have to write your own integration. Yeah, straight out of the, yeah, straight out of the cloud yeah. environment and straight into it. Sure, sure, sure. And that's exactly, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, infrastructure as, as code and all of these other, I mean, it's this is where this was all headed anyway. Right. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, every event in a cloud environment, when we talk about anything from instantiating containers, standing up VMs, you know, S3 buckets, permissions, firewalls, user groups, all that stuff, 
it's all designed to be scripted from the get-go, so why can't it out why can't its outputs be pre-canned and preconceived and scripted as well? That makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. And and I'm thinking through, you know, we did a show on the promises of SOAR and whether it's really delivered. And I had a great guest on for that conversation. And one of the things we talked about with SOAR was this idea that you could automate a little bit more than just the SIM escalation type stuff that you could actually file tickets. You could actually upload IOCs to, you know, virustotal.com or whatever kind of, you know, you can take some steps, some tangible steps with your automation. There's no reason that same automation can't be distributed, right? Like, why do you have to have SOAR to perform that kind of task? And and for that matter, where I was trying to take the SOAR conversation was one step further where that automation actually directly influenced controls, and not just reporting, right? Because that, to me, that's the biggest yeah. hurdle that SOAR, like, just suddenly hit the wall. SOAR was racing down the track and suddenly hit the wall when it came to, yeah, but what do you do about it, right? I want to exactly. automate the doing about it part, not just the reporting about it, talking about it, sharing it, understanding it, analyzing it, triaging it, reporting it. You know, I want to do something about it. And there's plenty of vendors out there that were headed that way, but all of those vendors, I think, are, again, dependent upon this SIM, UEBA, SOAR kind of centralization model, how easy would it be to distribute the doing? It seems to me, again, especially in the cloud, if this stuff is all infrastructure as code anyway, then then the doing should be scriptable too. And, and not only should it be scriptable, it, it should be again, it, it should be known. Like the like the Amazon resources and APIs, they're known. Yeah, they updated a lot. But what you can do, the strings you can pull, the knobs you can dial, it's mm-hmm. not a mystery. It's not unique because you're not in your own data center. You're not you know you don't have your own magic behind behind the curtain. This is, these are known things. And so these, rather than getting a sore and having to come up with your own use cases and, and develop them and workflows and do the integrations, like, like opening a ticket, right? Like, okay, I want to open a ticket. Okay, write your integration to your ticketing system, write the workflow you want. And there are vendors coming out now saying, oh, we know you want to open a ticket. It's already built in. Just right. you know, give us the API keys. We'll do it for you. Right, right, right. These aren't mystery use cases. Like that's, that's something that's like, you, know, you ask any security guy, what do you want to automate? Tickets. You know, I want to open a ticket automatically. Like, okay, so why are the SOAR platforms giving me the, the ability to do that myself? Why don't you just sell me the solution? Right. Like, sell me the, all, all I have to do is enter my API keys, do the integration for me, give me the workflow for me. It should already right. be there. Right. The best, the best SOAR examples involve people painstakingly, to your point, you, you call it in the sim, writing your own questions. Uh, with yeah. the SOAR, you're writing your own responses, right? It's, it's you know, yeah. writing your own answers. But those answers aren't even control answers. And, and that's where I'm getting at is, is if this stuff is all known and if it's all API, I'm picturing a world where, to your earlier example, Joe Bob has five unsuccessful logins. System just shuts off his account temporarily, disables his account, and also sends the escalation ticket and lets both security and IT know, Joe Bob, five un- unusual logins, shut them down, go take a look in the morning kind of thing. You know, address it with a control. Exactly, yeah. And, and the question becomes, what do I want to do about this rather than what happened? Right. And, and even better, and and I, the machine, have taken the first step for you in the doing about it. And I'm just letting you know, I've already, you know, the finger is in the hole and the water's no longer flowing out, but it is just a finger. It was a machine that did it. Yeah. You know, feel free to escalate, dig in further, whatever. Love the machine. That solves that problem that I feel like SOAR wasn't solving with its centralization model. And it's solving it, at least for cloud anyway, in a much easier and and, and again, with the right audience in mind, this is what I love about your model is, you know, IT needs to know about that just as much as security needs to know about that because the help desk are going to yep. be the ones who get the call from Joe Bob first thing in the morning saying, why am I disabled? What's going on here? 
yeah, we discovered you logging in from Ukraine five times at 2 a.m. You know, we're pretty sure you're not in Ukraine, you know, given that you're calling us from your time zone. So this is a clever model, and I can see there's a lot of potential to it. I think, to your point, though, the legacy folks, the folks that are already heavily invested in infrastructure that centralizes everything are going to have a challenge with this. And the folks that are still very, very on-prem are going to have challenges with this, but especially for the cloud-forward folks. And to your point, there's, there's a, you know, cloud-agnostic vendors aggregating this stuff and providing it already anyway – this seems like a logical step. I get it. I get distributed incident response. I like it, man. So listen, we're getting close to the end of the show here. We've gone on for a while in this conversation. This was a fantastic conversation, but I want to ask you one question before we close it out, which is the question I ask every guest at the end of the show. What surprises you the most in cybersecurity? There are good things and bad things. So, I mean, some of the things I, I've, I've noticed in my you know 30 years is how resistant people have been to change, which mm -hmm. has been kind of surprising, seeing that we're in a tech world that advances so quickly. With this model I'm proposing now, it's the people that the resistance I'm getting with that. And it's not only that, but, you know, changes all along the whole the whole maturity model as you go along. People seem to get stuck in their ways sometimes, even knowing the tech is advancing so fast. Because I mean, look what we were 20 years ago to where we are now. So that's kind of on the bad side. So on the good side, I've really noticed the way that the security community has kind of rallied around some of our more sensitive issues. Like everything's from just you know, collaboration between teams and partners and, and not no longer being that department and no, um, to how we're really focusing on you know, inclusion and diversity and mm -hmm. just opening up security to more people and giving more people opportunities. So that's been a really ha a happy surprise I've seen because you know, that's something I didn't think would come easily to the security community. You know, being that we were, you know, kind of a, we, we used to be a bunch of curmudgeons back in the day, you know, right? a bunch of doctor knows. Yeah. Just to see people embrace that has been, has, has been surprising in a really good way. And you're right about the, the resistant thinking. I mean, even some of my questions at the beginning of the show were antique questions, right? I wasn't even asking the right questions about your model. I was still <laughs> assuming the old way in my questions, right? It's difficult. It's challenging. It's hard to break your brain, especially when you've committed a few years to a thing. It's hard to break your brain out. And to your point, some of these vendors that are already cloud agnostic, that are already distributing this stuff, I wasn't thinking of them that way. I wasn't even thinking of them that way at all. I was thinking of them as, oh, something else to feed my centralized SIM model. And it's not even... Um, it's not easy. Even me, the podcast host, who's always trying to learn and grow and get guests who've got challenging and innovative <laughs> ways of doing things. It's not even easy for me to keep up. Some of my questions end up being antique in this show. So uh, point well taken. We need to all of us focus on and work on that. Technology changes so fast. And just because you invested three years in it doesn't mean that uh, it's what you need to be doing for the next three years. And that's that's the hard thing. Letting go is hard. It is. And having been a, from, a former product manager for you know, a couple of SIM products and a UBA product, like it was really hard for me to kind of say, look what you did, you know, 10 years ago, yep. that's all junk, throw it away. Yeah. Like you need to, you need to evolve. Yeah. But again, I mean, that's, that's part of kind of, you know, you have to continually keep learning yep. if you want to keep on that bleeding edge. Exactly. I, I suggest hosting a podcast. That's how I learn. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I'm, I'm almost thinking about doing one now. Yeah, this is this My is goodness. this is truly for me. This is such value having such great guests like you come through with new ideas and new ways of thinking. It keeps me on my toes for sure for the day job. All right. Eric Block, Senior Director of Detection and Response at Sprinkler and former product manager for several SIM products too. Thank you for such a compelling conversation. Thank you for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>